You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast. Hello and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy. And I'm Norm. And today you're going to be hearing all about Seventh Continent. Today we're also going to be joined by Dan, or Octavo, from the Discord. Uh, You may remember them from episode 10, where we covered Orchard, a nine-card solitaire game. We've got them back because they've been playing Seventh Continent a whole bunch for quite a while, so they have a lot more experience than we do, and we're going to be leaning on their expertise this episode, you know, just, just like I do with Scruffy every episode. That's right. However, you say we, unfortunately, we are going to be down a host for this episode. Isn't that right, Norm? That's right. So we're recording this spiffy little intro uh, just to ease you in. But I'm actually not going to be part of the conversation. It's going to be Scruffy and Dan this episode unpacking Seventh Continent. I wanted to join you for the introduction, though, because we have a couple of announcements that I wanted to be a part of. So make sure you're sat somewhere comfortable because we've got a couple of really important announcements. So first of all, to start with the good news, we were recently on the One Player podcast. We were interviewed by the host, Albert, and it was a really, really fun interview. And that episode is out now. It's episode 208. Did you enjoy that experience, Scruffy? Yeah, it was a a really fun interview. I enjoyed being a part of it, for sure. It was a lot of fun to do and be able to talk about the show. And also, there are a bunch of other people on the same episode with us, and it's a whole series of episodes, I think two or three coming out, with other content creators. So great place to find podcasts like ours if you're interested. That's right. Yes, that was the One Player podcast. Of course, the links will be in the description. Now, on to the not-so-nice news. We're going to be changing the format of the podcast temporarily. So temporarily, we're going to be moving from a two-week format to a four-week format, meaning episodes will be released every four weeks. To try to compensate for this, we're going to be doing live streams on Scruffy's Twitch. This will be once a month as well, so every off week where, we're not, where we should, uh, should be releasing an episode, if that makes sense. Yeah, so essentially, instead of having two episodes a month, we'll be doing one episode a month and a Twitch stream a month. So it's kind of, you're, you're getting the same amount of episodes. They just, uh, one of them's a slightly different form, which should be fun, I think, and interesting to play with. Even though Norm says it's uh, not so nice news, personally, I'm really excited to see how it goes and the reaction that it gets from you guys. And like Norm says, this is a temporary change. We intend to go back to our two-weekly release schedule as soon as we are able. That's right. And uh, the reason behind this, and we don't have to talk about this, but I think it's important and I think people should talk more openly about it. I'm currently struggling a lot with my own mental health, have issues with anxiety and depression, and this is really affecting my ability to basically be motivated to do anything. I'm currently off work and I'm currently really trying to cut back on my obligations just so that I can get myself back onto an even keel. Now, I love doing this podcast. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favourite things. And being a part of Always Player One, it feels like part of my identity now, Scruffy. I know what you mean. It really is like a part of me. And I don't want to do this every four weeks permanently. So it is 100% a temporary fix. 
but it is something that's needed. And as I said, I think people should talk about these sort of things more openly. If this is something that you're also struggling with or have have been affected with, you can check out the links in the description. I'm going to pop down some useful resources. Uh, they will be specific to the UK because that's all I know about, but uh, I know a good portion of our audience are from the UK, so please don't feel excluded. And uh, if you are feeling this way, uh, do reach out for help and, and take action, positive action, in a similar way that that I have. As hard as as hard as it may be in the moment, it is, it is worth taking positive steps because, yeah, it's important to uh, to look after your mental health. Yep, boldly done, Norm. A hundred percent behind you on this, and we're all rooting for you i know all our listeners i said this in the planning phase before i'm certain all our listeners will be completely understanding of where you're coming from and there will be no rush for you to return back until you're absolutely ready and comfortable right yeah of course of course everybody's been really 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 supportive and uh, thank you to our patrons who have already uh, who already knew this news and have been nothing but supportive both in the Discord, and I've got received a few personal messages as well, and that means the world, it really does. But anyway, without any further ado, Scruffy, g- get on with the episode. <laughs> okay, I'll get on with the episode. So, let's say hello to Dan, who's here with us. Hello, nice to be back. Welcome back, Dan. Oh, it's, it's uh, been such a long time since we've had you on the show, and you were awesome in episode 10. But people from Discord will know that you chat in there a lot. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and we're here today to talk about Seventh Continent. We are indeed. Yes. I know there's uh, some fans of it on our Discord, so I think this is going to be quite an interesting episode. I'm certain it will. Before we start, I just want to throw a quick heads up for everyone listening. There may be spoilers in the episode. I don't know yet, but it might be that we end up talking about things that will reveal sort of secrets from the game. We'll try and signpost them when they happen, but I just want to give you a quick shout out here that there might be spoilers ahead. So listen at your own discretion. Okay, so the description for Seventh Continent then. In Seventh Continent, you play as one to four explorers returning to an island in an attempt to lift a curse. You win if you lift the curse. How you do this is left unexplained, however, and you must play to find out. The ways to lose are a bit clearer. You lose if you fail at certain events or by running through the action deck and then drawing a curse card from it when you draw more cards. Every turn, you take one action and the actions you can take in Seventh Continent are very diverse, including things like searching, fighting, digging, eating, making a fire, and many, many, many more. Each of these actions will only be available for you if a white symbol with the action is depicted at your character's location on the map, or on an item in your play area, or a card in your hand. Regardless of the specifics, actions always resolve the same way, by drawing a number of cards from the action deck, and then attempting to meet a target number of stars to succeed at the action. These numbers are depicted on each action, but you may be able to manipulate the number of cards you draw or stars you gain through items and cards. These will usually relate to specific actions. For example, a shovel might make you better at digging. Often, actions will not have a maximum for how many cards you can draw, giving you some choice in how quickly you want to burn through the action deck in pursuit of success, with more cards, meaning stars are more likely to appear. Importantly though, you must decide on how many cards you will draw before revealing them, so it's a push-your-luck situation. 
Once success or failure is resolved, you can take one card from those drawn from the action deck into your hand for later use, and the rest go in the discard. If the action deck ever runs out, the discard pile is flipped, and from then on, when cards are drawn from this new action deck, if one of them is a curse card, it's game over. To mitigate this, certain actions will allow you to shuffle cards back into the action deck to prolong your adventure. Turning to the map, you start the game with one location on the board, and surrounding it in specified orthogonal spaces are fog cards, which need to be flipped and dealt with. The location will then indicate which specifically numbered card to draw and place where the fog tile was, meaning the map remains the same for every game of Seventh Continent. There are five different characters to choose from, each bringing slightly different abilities and their own set of cards to add to the action deck. In addition, there are several different curse cards which vary certain events in the game and presumably require different conditions to achieve victory. I say presumably because this is the first time ever that I have not been able to find out how you win at a game before recording, <laughs> despite it being one I have devoted more time to play than many in preparation for the show. And uh, you were laughing there, Dan, so I think you know what I'm, what I'm getting at with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I've spent what must be somewhere in the region of 16 hours on one curse, and uh, no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still haven't managed to win. So I have played multiple play sessions, and I think it's important to give this context here because it's a, it's a really interesting game in terms of play sessions and the sort of meta game of it all. So I have played a lot of a lot of play sessions for this, and many hours devoted to each play session, and I still don't know how you win. I have a, I have a, I think I have the end in sight, but I'm not certain, and I I know how you lose. I've had I've had uh, games that I've lost. <laughs> But uh, yeah, still, still not sure quite how you win. And I'm on the first curse, and there are—is it three in the in the standard box and a few? I've got one of the expansions, <laughs> which I haven't even looked at yet. And you can play with multiple curses, mm -hmm. so that's pretty wild, right? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think one of the things I really like about Seven Constant is sort of on that note is that you can you can tailor the game like to pretty much exactly what you feel like playing. I suppose the only sort of caveat to that is it's a bit chicken and egg so i've played two different curses so far mm -hmm. one of which was substantially shorter <laughs> than the other really yeah. okay so the original base game has their starter curse in the rule book is mm -hmm. the voracious goddess which is, i believe is the one you played that's the one i'm still, still slogging, slogging through, through. <laughs> yeah and same here and there's one the the other one which is the expansion you've got is the crystal song i think it's called yep which is now the newer recommended starting curse right maybe i should have dived into that one <laughs> yeah that one is substantially shorter but only because the way it like i will try not to give any spoilers but the way it works is through the fog cards mm -hmm. so you basically reach the end a lot quicker so i right. finished my crystal song playthrough in about two-ish hours two and a half hours wow okay so for context there that's two and a half hours one session right one fairly yeah, yeah. medium length session i lost track of how many sessions i played obviously with all the losses as well and and and, and whatever but I, I i must have played at least four sessions of about that length maybe longer and i'm still not done <laughs> with the with the maybe i'm just playing slow or i've got an, an opportune setup or something no you're definitely you're definitely not 
<laughs> yeah. So so it's so it sounds like this one is a, a quarter, maybe a fifth of the length of mm. the uh, of the original one that comes with the base game. Wild. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So I'm yet I'm yet to try any of the others, but I don't know. They could be longer. They could be shorter. I'm quite excited to find out. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. So like. That's the kind of meta of the game. And I think it's an important context to have when you come into the game. Because I remember I was talking to you and another one of our friends about how I was just going to, yeah, I'll just blitz this. I'll get this done in no time, no, no problem at all. And you, <laughs> you, get, you both gave each other kind of a knowing nod and said, yeah, all right. Yeah, what was it? You, you, you said you would finish the curse by the podcast wasn't it that's what you said oh yeah for sure i said i'll finish the curse by the podcast maybe even try playing multi-handed then with multiple adventurers and do it again and you know repeat yeah <laughs> no and me, me and matt just laughed at you <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> and yeah so it's important to have that kind of mind frame when you're going in of knowing that this is an adventure that it feels like you require a, a glass of brandy to sit in a comfortable chair mm play it for as long as you're comfortable and then be ready to stop. Maybe even set yourself a time for to stop each session because I kept getting fatigued by yeah. the end of each session. I'd get annoyed. I'd be trying to rush through it and be like, what? how is this time not the end yet? How is this time not the end yet? <laughs> and I keep keep going and keep pushing myself. And it, it, was, it was leading to, it was only when I sort of switched up in the next sessions being like, I'm just going to take my time, take mm. it easy. I started to have fun. It's why I lost. I was just trying to rush, 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 go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah, you really need to take a gentleman's approach to the expedition, don't you? Yeah, yes, it is very interesting. So the 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 action deck you mentioned effectively represents your the the stamina of your characters. Yes, and I remember the first time I played, hadn't really cottoned onto that, I suppose. And I just plowed. Mm -hmm. I did uh, every action I could find. Go 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 go! Let's do everything. And we'd maybe explored maybe. I mean, I call them tiles, but cards, whatever you want to refer to them as. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe about six, and then we lost because <laughs> we just done. Like, wow! <laughs> we just plowed through because I was like, I'm going to guarantee yeah. a success, so I can see what this does. And yeah, we just plowed through that deck like within a couple of hours, and then that was it, game. You know, and then after that, it was like, yeah, we really need to, like, we like you say, pace yourself, and you know, mm. you don't have to do every action, and they're not all worth it. Yeah, yeah, you do learn that, don't you? After, especially after repeated playthroughs, that's kind of a fun time to things. There's a lot I want to kind of touch on there, mm. but just to, ho to hone in on that mechanic, then. So, the the game, like I said in the description, it offers you kind of a choice when you interact with any action. You, you, well, when you have your tile on your turn, you have a sort of buffet of actions in front of you. You look at you look down at the map tile and you go, okay, I could dig there, I could uh, investigate over there on the tile. You're looking at the literal tile, and I find that. A really nice, yeah, definitely little thematic thing there, where you look at the tree and you see a, what's that in that tree. Maybe we should investigate and find out. Ooh, and then then you do if you do mm. choose to do that, or you can uh, completely ignore this tile and go off exploring elsewhere. And that's the mistake I made. So I had the opposite problem to you, <laughs> where I just breezed past everything. Yeah. Like I don't care. I'm not going out of my way. I'm just I'm gunning to the end <laughs> i tried to just uh go through the fog as quickly as i could and get to the end tile as quickly as i could and i had um i found that i i ran through the uh the action deck in a different way because i never hit any of those replenish points where you get to replenish uh, okay, the deck with yeah. certain actions yeah which are also cr critically important I'm, I'm again trying not to give specifics to spoil here but i gave the warning at the start so maybe i could do a quick incoming spoiler and say because uh, I think it's it's nice and it's thematically interesting that you you eat 
to replenish the deck. A lot yep. of times you have to hunt animals and then eat uh, or find fruit and eat the fruit. And that will shuffle cards from the discard of the action deck back into the action deck. Yep. To kind of keep you uh, ticking over. There's so many actions that are thematic. So as you say, you eat to restore your stamina. You can you rest to cure yourself of wounds or ailments or uh, I think the game calls them statuses. Mm-hmm. And uh, gain experience. Yes. Well. If you ever get a chance yeah. to rest, you'll often be able to spend your experience points you've gained. We'll definitely unpack that later. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many of the actions that just, like, it just works. And like, mm. the, as you're saying, the, the, the art on the tiles, it's not just like this is a random tree. The thing in the random tree is the thing that you then investigate. It's not just like some random icon. Yeah. And, and so that gives you kind of the, the challenge is to work out what specifically looks like it's worth investigating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You look at the tile, and I'm not going to spoil here and tell you the tricks I've learned, but you look <laughs> at the tile and you look for visual clues for what would be useful to you right now. Uh, you're nodding, so I think I know, you, know, you, know, you know the sort of things you look for. Mm. Every time you look at a tile, you go, what's it got on it? Okay. And, and you look at things and think, well, that might be dangerous to do. <laughs> so I'll avoid <laughs> doing that dangerous thing. Often you'll see uh, actions, or at least I did, see actions that mechanically give me a little hint of wariness, where they'll say, oh, this one's easy. You can just do this for free. It's uh, zero cards, yeah. zero style. Yeah. Go for it. No. You're gonna get me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that makes you and what it makes you do then when you see that is you go, okay, but what's the actual specific action it's asking me to do there? Investigate. Well, that can't be that bad, right? But if it's something else, maybe it's climb, you go, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Then yeah, you, you might kind of kind of be a bit more wary of it. Dig here. Do I really want to dig there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think as well, which I find quite interesting is that a lot of the actions are quite high risk in terms of like the number of cards you have to flip. But there isn't always, there is no sort of real high risk, high reward coefficient, if you like. Because like you could flip, you could maybe you have to flip six cards to get two successes and you think, easy peasy. And then you just get nothing for it. And it's just been like an absolute waste of, which I know some people won't like, but I think that's great. Because so you say that's a risk that you see the number and it's a risk because it's burning through the action. Yeah, deck, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, the other, the other, the other end of the risk is when it's, um, it says you only have to flip two cards, but you need five stars. Yeah. And you go, God, they I can't me. get five stars in two cards. <laughs> yeah. So you could, you could try, try, and you might have items then. Yeah. That give you the stars. So this might be maybe a dig action again, or, or whatever. And you go, okay, so I can dig, but I need, I need a lot of success to get there. How many cards am I willing to sacrifice? It's, it's saying I can get away with just pulling two up, and obviously that would be ideal. The least cards, the better. But how many stars can I get from my items? And if it's none, I'm going to need to draw more cards than two because the swing on the cards is very, very minor, isn't it? You go from yep. zero, zero stars being cursed cards. Some cards have half stars on. Yep. You need the opposite half to complete them. Some have one whole star. Some have one and a half. That's quite common. One or one and a half is fairly common or half. Um, so you're kind of looking at a net of maybe one. That's what I had in my head yep. um, with the cursed cards throwing out balance. And some really successful, lovely cards give you like three stars and you go, wow. Um, unless you were cautious that turn, in which case you go, oh, but I picked five cards and I yeah, did it with two. It's such a waste. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's good. I like, I really enjoy that flipping mechanic. It's like, yeah. That flipping mechanic. <laughs> that flipping mechanic. No, that sounded wrong, didn't it? <laughs> But no, yeah, so the, the whole, um, I don't know, I just find it great. I'd like, I'd like the challenge it gives you of, I can see, you can, you, you can see your pile getting smaller mm. 
And then you're like, yes, I've got so far. And now I don't know what to do. Like, And it makes you play differently then, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. You suddenly go, I can't waste time now. I can't do any frivolous activities. I need to be looking to replenish my deck. I need to find something to eat. Yeah. And then you, and then you actually go hunting because, I mean, so spoiler alert on this, some of the cards have animal tracks on them. And so if you explore the animal tracks, yeah. Yeah, this is what I was kind of hinting at earlier, yeah. And that's just great. So these animal tracks don't lead necessarily to, some Some of them will lead to a specific spot on the location card, but they'll often be leading off the location in mm. a direction. And so you go, well, I need to follow those tracks into the fog over that way to find the animal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so you, like, it, like, I don't know. I think, I think this, like, this game is just incredibly thematic. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably something I'm going to say quite a lot because pretty much everything you do, I feel, is quite thematic in the game. But we'll explore more of that as it comes up, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so you know, we've touched on there the, the sort of push-your-luck elements of the game we touched on. And I think it is really important to say that the sort of the way the theme and the, the sort of style of the game kind of makes you... It gives you, like, little puzzles as you go, doesn't it? Sometimes literally. Sometimes some of the cards you get are a little puzzle that you have to yep. try and solve or face having... D- disastrous injury before you as happened to me once <laughs> um, but there's also the puzzle and returning here to the meta of the way you win mm. so the only thing you're given is a clue card right at the start and for the voracious goddess that's a map and a description of your kind of situation and that's it you've just got this kind of weird vague little dotted line on a map and you're just going what do I do now? Emphasis on the word vague. <laughs> and it is vague. Yeah, it's very vague. And it's very confusing because obviously it doesn't match up to the, the world you're seeing. Mm. You are on a small part of this place. And yeah, you kind of start to uncover more and it starts to make more sense as you go until you start to go, okay, I think I've got a direction now. Yeah. And if you're anything like me, you do end up hitting a few roadblocks or dead ends that make you go, well, I don't know what then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had a moment happen really recently. I was actually coming into the show thinking I would be talking about it like this, but I, I played it again today, actually, to try and really finish it up. And, and suddenly I thought, I'd, I thought I was lost. I thought I got to where I needed to go on the map and it was a dead end. I was lost. I was hopelessly lost. I had to backtrack. And when I started doing that, I found an alternate route that led somewhere else. And that was actually where I was meant to be going. Oh, nice. Okay. It was a really lovely moment for me. And suddenly all sorts of fun, exciting things happened. I managed, I was just crawling along, like injured and dying. <laughs> and with like four cards left in the action deck. But suddenly a few fortuitous events meant I suddenly have a full action deck again. And it's like getting a second wind for my character. They were suddenly Amazing, able to yeah. really dive back in and explore again, you know. And I feel like that was kind of meticulously designed to happen. Mm. Uh, which was which was a nice thing. So it, it was. I don't know how much of it was a personal experience, or and and how much of it was orchestrated. What would you say about that for the game? Interesting. I imagine. I mad. Well, I imagine it's a bit of both, but I think it definitely weighs more on the sides of personal experience. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm not actually sure at all. I was personally, I suppose, if I was going to design the game, obviously there is there is a route. I mean, that's not sort of yes. a spoiler or anything. There will be a particular route you need to yes. take in certain cases. I mean, I mentioned in the description that the map is the same every time. Yes. Yeah. 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 So much like the, well, because it is, it's a choose your own adventure book, but a board game. <laughs> so there is, there is a like, 
a right route, if you like. So I imagine in the design, they probably did set, you know, certain points where you could recover. Yes. So that bit's probably orchestrated. The reason I say it's more personal experience is because they don't tell you where that is. <laughs> and as you say, you just wander across this whole continent and pray. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, you kind of say it is quite linear, but there are a few diverging points I noticed mm. when I did some, when I replayed it from the start. I noticed I took a different route and it led to a different part of the same big island. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's worth pointing out the, and I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say, but I'm going to abandon at this point spoiler warnings and stuff because I think I feel like it'd be impossible to talk about this game and trade on eggshells the whole time. True. So we're going in deep now, guys. <laughs> but I can't spoil the ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the bonus. <laughs> so yeah, at certain points during the game, you will leave small islands and progress towards the bigger main island, right? Mm. And so you kind of have these uh, sort of save point moments happen where you clear the board, put everything back in the box, even stuff that's already happened, and then start afresh on a new location that's just a bit closer to your eventual destination. And so the, the main sort of big island part of this is so massive that it kind of happens that you can approach it from different angles. And so you're going to have a fairly unique experience every time, depending on how you got there. Yeah, for sure. Also on that point, the different curses will start you in different places. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, I knew that, yes. Yeah, I mean, in terms of replayability and just... It's really interesting, actually, because like I was playing the other curse and I was flipping my mm -hmm. cards over and I was like, don't I recognize this place? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, if I go there that way, I know there's that thing there. So I'm not going to go that way. Nice. I'm going to yeah. go another way. But that's really cool because, you know, you're explorers. You're exploring a seventh continent and you've, you know, you've learned from previous experience. Yeah, and you've been here before. It literally says in the yeah, rules. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You've been here before. So there isn't that disconnect because it does sound bad that. Like, it sounds like, well, if you know what's there, mm. then there's no surprise. And and that is true to some extent. Although some cards, some places do have two cards, a yeah. good one and a bad yeah, one. Yeah. That's something I noticed quite early on. So sometimes you can kind of risk it. I learned that the bad way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was too. like, this will definitely happen. Oh, what? <laughs> there's one card I investigated and because and the way the mechanics work is that Often when you resolve actions, it will instruct you to take a specific card yeah. and read it from the from a specific numbered card. And sometimes there's two, so you just 50-50 it. So I did it, and it didn't stop me from doing it twice. I got a, a good result and went, well, I'll just do that again then. But the other card was it's a bad, bad result. Yeah, done that. <laughs> I mean, it said literally on the card, you might not be so lucky next time. I was like, yeah, all right, game. <laughs> <laughs> I had to see if it followed through on that. I had to know. My curiosity was too much. I walked away from it and then walked back. So, so yeah, it sounds like a really bad thing that there's some some events that are certainly know what's going to happen. You've been there before. You know what that location has, what it has to offer, and what's there. But it's actually really good and really fun because it kind of gives you a reward for having played it once, the reward of knowledge and experience, which you can then use in your next playthrough. And whilst you lose some of the joy of the discovery, that's still there for the future you haven't seen everything the game has unless you've played a million times but it's a very long game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you haven't won or if you're replaying to just try out different combinations the actual game is just very fun to play with at least i was having a lot of fun playing it and i'm gonna just because it sounds like we're being very positive about this i think it's worth saying there are some flaws in the game which i do want to bring up sure 
but I'll, I'll just give you a chance to respond to my big old ramble there before I do that. I agree. There you go. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I agree. It's, it's very good replayability. Although, I mean, if we're going to get into flaws, it's very replayable, but in some aspects it's not. So mm-hmm. there are certain cards that, as you mentioned before, are puzzles. So once you've solved them, you kind of, you know, every time you draw that puzzle, you're like, well, I know the answer, you know. There's certain, mm. like, I mean, when I first got this puzzle, I, I've never spent so long counting dots on a card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I now know the answer to that puzzle. So when it comes up again, it's not going to be as interesting. And it's kind of like a guaranteed success for me, which mm-hmm. is, which to be honest, isn't a massive issue at all. And it, but yeah. it, it's just, it, it, you kind of lose that excitement a little bit, I'd say. That's interesting because that's one bit where I'd say it kind of proves the positive, I would say, in that if you got lucky with that puzzle before, because I noticed this one puzzle came up again, but it was a different solution. There's a 50-50 solution. It had the opposite solution. So if you got lucky and guessed and you go, well, you just pull the lever to succeed for example. Oh, I see. Then you might be wrong. I know exactly what card you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Then you might be wrong because you might have the, the push the lever card. And so, but if you have figured it out, you'll know the rule and you'll be able to feel like a clever cog. So like, well, I, I know these traps. I've been here before. Oh, <laughs> yes, my, that's true, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so you kind of get to feel smart and get to, you know, work it out using the sort of knowledge you already have. It's kind of indicative of that that thing we were saying about being given giving that information to give you that edge. I suppose, I suppose the, the important thing as well is that whilst I say that these puzzles get repeated, I've had one puzzle repeat in the 20-odd hours I've played, so it's not like mm. I'm playing the same puzzle every single time. No, puzzles are rare. Like Usually it'll be other stuff that happens. Mm. But I just want to... So if we're turning to the negative then, because I, I know at this point Norm will be listening to this and he'll be, he'll be screaming at us for being so positive because I want to let you guys know... Norm is not a fan of Seventh Continent. <laughs> and I have a quote here, which I'm going to read to you now, from uh, from our esteemed co-host, <laughs> who can't be here today. Norm says, it has all of the fiddliness of tabletop games with all of the boring linear narrative of video games. The worst of both worlds. It's filing cabinet the game. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I mean, <laughs> what do you make of that? <laughs> I one hundred percent agree with. I'm, that's the, the funny thing. I totally agree with a lot of what Norm says. I agree. There, okay. but I still enjoy the game. Yeah. So uh, let's address the filing cabinet point because it is one of my yes. gripes. So as you mentioned before, Scruffy, there are times when you have to sort of clear the deck and start again. So this often happens when you travel. So you'll go oh, you know, go down this staircase or whatever, and then you'll have to clear the board and, like, start again, effectively. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Depending on how much you've done before that happens, yeah, that putting stuff away and starting again can take, like, 20 minutes, half an hour. <laughs> it can take a little while. I don't think it took me that long, but... Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Especially if you've got a lot of cards, you need to organise them, get them all from the past, put them all in there. Yeah, yeah. So what happens is, so basically, when when you've dealt with an action, in most cases, you return to what's called the past, which is basically just a discard pile for or a separate discard pile for sort of terrain cards and all that kind of thing. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you have you basically have to put them back because one of the things I think it's in the rulebook is basically the idea is is that you can save the game. The, the game has a save state. 
which is quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do your two hours and you're like, well, I'm not done yet. Well, tell you what, here's here's the save state. So the save state is supposed to be you sleeping. And then when you w- awake, the continent is basically all covered in fog again. And then you have to re-explore cuts. Um, did you, mm-hmm. I don't know if you actually used the, the save mechanic, did you at all? Um, I didn't use that bit, but I saved it just by packing everything away and then laying it back out again. Okay. Because... I didn't want to do that. That's fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, so, but yeah, the whole putting stuff away is a nightmare and isn't a lot of fun on the, uh, but I, you know, I quite like it just because I find, I, I think it's quite therapeutic to flick through there. It does make me, I was yeah. thinking about this when I was playing the other day. It makes me feel like a librarian, like going through index cards, <laughs> like yes. old school index yes. cards, like there we go. That goes in there. Yeah. A hundred percent. And if you don't like that, if you don't like the idea of that, I, I mean, it, it, it is very repetitive and you do do that a lot. It does feel almost like you are constantly setting up this game. Like, yeah, there's no point where you're not playing setup this game because you're pulling out another card to put on the board and it, is it a table hog dan yes i mean it literally has a rule in the in the book for when you run out of yeah, table space exactly i mean the, i mean if you i haven't actually done it i will probably do it one day but if you were to lay out all the terrain cards mm. i don't even think i have a room big enough in my house <laughs> yeah like i yeah. probably have to do it out of my garden because like, <laughs> yeah. there's so many cards so i i personally own the the kickstart second kickstarter edition i don't know there's got to be sort of like six six hundred maybe terrain cards it's just insane how how much content there is so so it's interesting because all this is vague you don't know the same cards that are used for the terrain are the same cards that are used for rewards or punishments or, or challenges or whatever they're, they're all the same cards and so you don't really know how many events there are in a deck you don't know how many terrain there are in a deck it's all very mysterious and as we've already hinted at some cards get repeated some cards come up multiple times some have multiple iterations of themselves in the deck which is cool. And they, they they play with this sort of filing cabinet index thing really well in the game to make it so that kind of don't get spoilers. You even have really fun things where there are golden versions of certain cards, which means oh, yeah. that if you really explore and, and progress and experience an event, it then goes into the past or is banished from the game and gone for good. And then the next time, maybe you'll encounter its golden version. Yeah, so you can, you can fundamentally change the map by interacting with it which is interesting yeah yeah your your actions have an impact on what is available for the future in that way which i thought was really neat and really cool and yeah yeah, and it's funny because like i say i agree with norm entirely in the performative aspect of the game is like i said right from the start it's a very you have to be very patient with it you have to be in the right sort of i think frame of mind to be willing to fiddle with cards and move things around solve little cheeky puzzles here and there mm. and, and not just the literal puzzles but the puzzles of managing your inventory which we haven't even unpacked yet but i still love it and i don't know why yeah yeah i don't disagree at all it is very filing cabinet but if you like that sort of thing i mean it's, it's the, the age of statement if you like it you'll like it i feel like i just got immersed when i was playing yeah. like i i got i got, I got kind of lost in it i got lost in the sort of the fiddliness and I'd have little moments where I'd go, oh, I get to you know, shuffle 12 cards back into the deck. Oh, that's so satisfying. It's so, so you know, that, that tension's been lifted for a little bit there. That's a really nice feeling and a nice moment. And it is just me moving cards around. I'm literally just performatively, I'm just taking cards and putting them somewhere else, which is what I've been doing the whole time. Yep. But it has significance to me. It kind of feels like 
<laughs> very much like I guess the stereotypical image of a of a solo board game of somebody just moving cards around and having fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, so I, th- I think we agree with Norm on the on the fiddliness aspect, but you know, some people are, like obviously people have different tolerances to the level of admin. Mm. The one thing I don't agree is necessarily is the linear aspect that he's mentioned. Okay. Now I don't know. I don't know what curse Norm played with because I don't. I don't find it especially linear. I mean, the game does mm-hmm. steer you slightly in certain aspects, but every time we've reached the main continent, it's kind of just like, yeah, go where you like. Yeah, the main continent is pretty sprawling, isn't it? Yeah, but there is, but it, I guess it's what you said at the start. There is one route to get to the objective, right? There is, you have to find the right path eventually. Mm. And certainly early on, I think it's very linear in that you only you have those little islands and there's only really one way off them. That's not true though, is it? I mean, there are a couple there of ways. There are multiple sometimes. ways, yeah. Yeah, you can swim yeah. the swim the waters and drown. And often they'll present you with different ways you can direct yourself as well. You'll go, they'll say, "Would you like to go north, east, west? Take your pick." Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure I 100 percent agree. I mean, and also if you want more story choice, you could play with multiple curses, and then you've got mm. anything to do. With. I guess. I guess that what it comes down to for Norm, and he's not here to speak for himself, so I'll just speak for him. <laughs> Have you not got a sock puppet, Norm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that'd be perfect. I, oh, he's, he's, he's out of action as well. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we both have a similar sort of approach, I think. And, and this is something I said to him when, when I was talking about it with him. I said, if I discovered Seven Continent before I discovered solo RPing, I think it would definitely be my favorite game of all time. But I think because... We're both so deep in solo RPGs and, and the freedom that that offers. It really comes to the forefront for us when playing Seventh Continent. The limitations that, that the board game encapsules in the design, just in the, in the design, and things that we take as industry standard for board games and for video video games, which is that Norm said this, and he said, you got all these actions, but they all resolve the same way. And, you know, I'm with you, Dan, that I think the choice is interesting in when you look at the action you go oh which would be which would be right to do in the moment but that doesn't happen too often and and, and often you are just kind of left with a choice of do i do the action or do i carry on exploring do i do the action or do i carry on exploring mm, yep which isn't which isn't a very freeing choice and often the actions are kind of roadblocks they'll say you have to climb here in order to progress you have to sail here in order to progress, or you're stuck forever and it's game over. Yeah. And I think those kind of uh, hurdles where it's just hinging on success or failure based on a kind of impasse action is something that you realize when you play solo RPs is kind of a weird habit. And even the failure being a blocker to progress, it's kind of a weird habit that games present. And uh, and I think it's definitely it's definitely there in Seven Continent. Not that it's a, a fundamental flaw with the game, but it's something that I think we, us two specifically, notice being so where we are in our solo gaming at the moment. Okay, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Mm. I mean, when I when I reach one of those sort of impassable points, I just see that as a challenge rather than a yeah. Well, what if I don't want to climb this mountain? I mean, because I suppose I well, I mean, I play far too many video games. Let's be honest, and. Um, yeah, so I'm used to like, I've got to get from A to B, and I've just yes. got to, I've got to overcome. It's a convention, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I suppose I'm, if you like, I'm wired that way. Mm. I think a lot of us are. I mean, me too. I would, well, I would 
be if I hadn't played so much solo solo <laughs> RPing. But yeah, I mean, I can take it as, and I can just kind of you can you can just put it to to one side to the back of your mind and go, yeah, but I'm here to get over the mountain, right? Mm. And it's it's not a problem, but I think it is a problem for Norm. Yeah, no, that's fine. He can have his opinion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take that, Norm. It's a valid criticism, but I mean. It is, like I said before, it's a choose-your-own-adventure book, but it's a board game. And I yes. love choose-your-own-adventure Couldn't agree with that more. I'm yeah. like, I, I, they're great. And so I'm I'm more than happy just to be like, oh, well, I've made the wrong choice and I've got to go back and I have to. Like, I was playing it the other day and there was a there was a, a forest fire. And I was like, now nah, I'll avoid that. And I couldn't because basically if I tried <laughs> to go, like, to the east, there was a challenge that I couldn't pass because... It was one of those like draw two cards, get six stars, and I was like, "Well, that's not going to happen." Then <laughs> you know, no, I've got three cards left in the deck. No thanks. <laughs> yeah, to the to the south was a cliff, and so there was nowhere to go. And like, it was just like, oh, "Well, I'm going to have to deal with this now." You know. So yeah. I mean, I suppose yeah. I can see where Norm's coming from because, like, in terms of solo RPG, that would suck. Because mm. you know, why can't I scale the cliff? Because the game says you can't scale the cliff. It's a bit like, yeah. well, I mean, if I was really out there, I could do if I wanted to. So, I mean, I do get it. It does like the freedom, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for this game specifically. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think it's uh, I think it's just about mind frame going into this game. You have to be willing to lose progress and, and pick yourself back up. You have to be willing to have your sandcastle knocked over and be like, okay, well, I'm going to grip my teeth and try again. You know, I fell off a bridge at one point and it just put me so far back. I, and it was a bridge, you know, this this happened not because of my choice. I tried the push a luck little game. I tried to be really safe with it. I drew like two extra cards than I needed, but they were just all rubbish <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, needed, like that I thought I might need. Yeah. And uh, it was just really, really bad luck. Simple as that. But that happens. And that, that bad luck is kind of balanced out because of the way the deck works. That if I get loads of bad luck now, that gets rid of all the bad luck cards, right? Yeah. Which means that I'll be getting more good luck. So mechanically, that kind of works itself out. And you could count cards if you want. And, I, you know, let's hit on a, a few more mechanics here. Yeah, because we haven't talked about leveling up, yep. which I, I have mixed feelings about. I feel oh, like okay. there needs to be more points where it can happen. But so at certain points during the game, you'll get experience and... At certain other points during the game, you'll be allowed to spend that experience. Usually yep. when you rest for certain actions, it will say, draw the zero, zero, zero card, you get to level up. And the way you level up is you just draw four cards from the advanced skill deck, spend as many points as you want on as many of those you want, and you can either add them to your hand or directly to the action deck. But either way, they're in play now. They're in the cycle. Yep. So when you use them, play them from your hand, they go in the discard pile, they eventually might get shuffled back into the deck, and it's making the deck a little bit bigger, mm. right? Yep. So it's it's kind of prolonging you, giving you the stamina, it's a real reward on, on multiple levels. And you might think, well, I'll just take these powerful cards into my hand, but actually putting them into the action deck is double win, isn't it? Because... Yeah, it fills your, it fills your deck up. It fills your deck up, and you'll get them eventually. But they've also got a better chance of success on them. So I don't know if you've noticed this. There's a rule called Lucky Sevens. Mm -hmm. where So some of the cards, as well as having the stars on them, they have a number seven on them. And then certain uh, items or abilities will allow you to count that seven as a success. As a star, yeah. Yeah. So you can actually increase your chance of Lucky Sevens by having these advanced action cards in your deck. 
They, yeah, they seem to be really one of the main ways of getting them. There's not many luck, lucky sevens in the original deck. No. So one of, I think one of the characters might lean on them a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, I think in the original deck, there's only sort of a couple of actions. As soon as you get some of those advanced actions in rotation, you start seeing them come up, and often you'll find you have an item that need, will give you a reward for a lucky seven. So, hooray, you've got a free star, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, because just to lay out the composition of the cards for you, the cards have the main card with all the details for its specific effect. Maybe it's an item, maybe it's a skill that would be a one-time play from your hand. Who knows? Maybe it's a hold this in your hand and forever you'll have this bonus, whatever. And then on the left-hand side of the card, you have a strip which says how many stars it's worth when it's drawn. Or or not worth <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, as well. or, or sevens and it might so it'll have sevens or it'll have stars or half stars or whatever uh yeah it's really cool it's really neat it's a good way of doing things you know because typically these sort of games you, you'd have dice rolls yes i yeah i've got to say even though it's a game that has dice and you never roll the dice i don't mind I, because <laughs> because you're playing with cards for the whole game it kind of feels right to not have a break from that it mm. it, it means you can keep flowing better you're still doing just this this constant uh, automatic filing machine moving. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it's so robotic in some ways, but also it just kind of works. It feels like being in, you know, you know, you get that sort of trope, don't you, of the, the sort of <laughs> the British explorer filing yeah. through their journal and writing things down as they go. It kind of feels like that. You're doing a lot of admin as you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it feels right. I mean, speaking of the dice, though, because you wanted to speak about the items, the only reason, or the mm. only the reasons that the dice exist is to track the durability of items. Yeah. And so the items are very interesting in that, well, when you first get them in hand, they're basically a blueprint. And then you craft them using material, which is fun point number one, is that you can find the materials for the card, uh, sorry, for the item on the terrain cards in some cases, and that reduces the cost of creating the item. So creating an item always it always costs you stamina or cards to do so. Yeah, same as any action, it just costs cards from the action deck. Indeed. Yeah. So say like yeah, maybe this requires wood and flint to craft because you're going to make I don't know an axe or something. Maybe and you can find a terrain card that will have wood on it or flint or or even both. And if it has both, you get to craft the item for free. So to me, that's like, I like that because again, back to my, my friendly word of thematic, you, you're using the resources around you on the island to build this, whatever it is. That goes into hand and then they each have a durability. But then the interesting thing is you're, whilst your inventory is limited, you're allowed to combine items, mm -hmm. which I actually find a bit weird because it's like, oh yes, I'll combine my walking stick with this conch shell. And there's like, what have I done? Just sort of hung it from the top of my walking stick. And I'm yeah, like, why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, why not indeed? But I find that bit a bit disjointed. And then like back, going back to the floors, I find that the item system is probably the one I've had the most trouble with. How interesting. There's a lot of aspects or like there's, there's certain keywords and stuff, which the rule book for me didn't really explain clearly enough. So when you stack an item, so... You basically put item cards under under like one under another. If they've got a, all cards have a, a keyword in the bottom left corner, like serenity or will or something like that. And if the keywords match on the items, you add their durabilities together. Otherwise, you just add them on with no effect. But some item cards say discard this when used. So it took me a while to to find on Google and the FAQs and such that 
It's not that, like, because you've joined these two things together to make one item, but you're supposed to discard it after you. So do you discard the whole item? Do you discard this one card? And sometimes the expiration cards are items. So if you have full a full inventory and then you draw an item, is that an item that you put down? And, like, there were certain aspects of the item thing that it was just kind of, like, Oh, just a hassle, basically. Yeah, yeah. It does. It does take a bit of getting your head around, and yeah, I had to Google things myself as well to work out the specific rules. Because the exact thing you had of okay, if I if I put this flint on this item and then I use it to make a fire, mm. do I discard the entire stack? No, you just discard the flint. But it's mm. it's not clear, and obviously it does use up a durability. Yeah, yeah. So which. Incidentally, this is so you hinted out there. It's the way you track how many uses you have of that item. Every item has a varying, a various durability, which you track with a dice, D6. And every time you use that item in an action, as an action, it um, ticks down on the dice until there are no pips left. And like you say, if you're able to combine an item that matches one of its keywords, maybe you combine that bowler with an axe because they're both aggressive items you can add the new items durability and give it a bit of extra life as well as more utility yeah and incidentally when you use an item like that you only ever tick it down once so if you're using the bowler and axe in a fight now to take down a scary grizzly bear you only tick tick it down once and you can use both the effects of the items which is, I think, really cool. Yeah. Your axe bowler, which I can't quite <laughs> yeah. see how that would look either. Uh, it's just you throwing an axe with stones attached to it. Isn't it? <laughs> I think it's a really good system. Like, I just think, yeah, it, there's just the there's a couple of like edge case rules. Which, to be honest, you can forgive to you can forgive for a lot of games because a lot of games don't cover edge cases in their rule book. But it mm. seems like quite an obvious edge case to have missed. But um, it's not a criticism on the game itself. That is just more of a criticism on the rule book. Yeah. Which is totally valid for sure. Like uh, the the interesting thing as well is when you get those horrible dilemmas, and I'm sure you'll have experienced this too, where you're full up of items. You've just managed to craft a perfect inventory of really lovely items. You've got them stacked on top of each other. They're all matching and looking good. You're full, but you're hungry, and you just draw some food items from a hunt that you've done. And the only way you can use them is now if you get rid of one of your other items or combine them with it but that's still going to waste the item because they only have one durability each the food and unless you've got an item that matches food and stamina <laughs> you're, yeah. uh, you're in trouble here and so that's a really nice moment i think of of horrible choices in the game and real crunchy decisions that i found in my game anyway having to sacrifice a beautifully crafted set of items work out which one was best just so i can carry the food now and then go and go and eat it I think one of the uh, one of my tough decisions similar to that was I did some hunting. I drew a substantial mm -hmm. number of cards because, uh, sorry, not hunting, fishing. And I caught lots of fish and I was running out of space. And then basically I got an attack by a bear and then I had to give the bear most of my food <laughs> to make oh, it go no. away. And I was like, oh, well, that's really upsetting. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I was like, uh yeah, it's fine though like at least i wasn't mauled by a bear yeah yeah and didn't get any sort of because when you get a negative yeah. status you may be forced to 
discard cards from your action deck. Yeah, I think uh, we could unpack every single mechanical iteration of this game, but there are there are so many that we'd be here all day, really. Like you know, the way the the everything works, it's kind of a, a nuanced little thing. But it didn't it didn't feel hard to learn for me? I watched the Watch It Played YouTube video by Rodney Smith. I love his videos. Love it's always the first port of call for me when I want to learn a new game and can't be bothered to read the manual. Yeah, love his work and. I, w- I was ready to go. Like it's it's not hard to learn and pick up the game, and the little it, interactions that come kind of feel natural and make sense in the moments. And I, I really do like the interplay between the different mechanics, the sort of moments of decision where you go, well, actually, maybe I'll keep hold of that. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do this action for this specific weird reason to do with your filing cabinet system that you're playing with. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing that's unnecessary. Think. there's no there's no like unnecessary mechanics it's super lean which is great really because you can just pick it up and there you go and then you're off but i do understand i think norm's criticism of the the choices you have are mainly to do with this filing cabinet system and not so much to do with your adventure and your agency in the story you you are very much a loose lily kind of buffeted by the events around you and it's like you say it's like an action book the story is kind of pre-written and you're just choosing your path along the story you're choosing which bits you get to interact with often blindly which i think would be very frustrating for a lot of people so i totally get that criticism and i understand it and i i, I feel it to some extent and i feel like you know as i often feel with games maybe there's a way that it could have been better and it could have done more and it could have been a bit freer or or whatever. But it is what it is, right? And personally, I find it really enjoyable. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good game for me. Yeah, it's a great game. It's definitely, it's definitely a solo game. <laughs> Which is going to sound like a really weird thing to say because it's obviously it is because it's a solo podcast. But I've played this at, uh, I've done solo two-player and four-player. Basically, mm-hmm. the more players you have, the worst the, the the more yeah the more players you have the more norm's comment is true yeah i can imagine actually because it just gets tedious so mm-hmm. um i know eric on his recent podcast a couple of weeks ago was talking about you know solo games versus solitaire games because normally you have a multiplayer game with a solo mode or a solitaire game this is definitely a solitaire game with a multiplayer mode <laughs> because like it's just there's one thing that doesn't make sense and i struggle with in a multiplayer game is there's no turns Mm-hmm. there's no turn order it's not like you go clockwise around the table you just play whoever feels like they should play next which considering there's a mechanic that relies on you having an active player i.e the person whose turn it is even though there isn't turns just gets confusing <laughs> yeah well that's the stop somewhere podcast you're talking about there isn't it yeah that's the one Fan- fantastic show uh, i've still got a couple of episodes to catch up on actually for that nice but that sounds like yeah exactly exactly that i mean obviously we're not a multiplayer po- podcast here mm. so it can be the worst multiplayer mode in the world and it doesn't bother me in the slightest <laughs> fair enough it is the worst multiplayer mode but have you tried have you tried playing multi-handed with multiple uh, explorers yeah so this comes on to my my next point my preference is would is actually to play it multi-handed with two explorers really okay i I was really tempted to try and i think i'm going to for Mm. my next curse maybe a shorter curse (laughs) (laughs) yeah once i once i get to the end of this one i'm really really excited to try that because there are different there are certain mechanics in the game that you don't interact with just as one adventurer yes and i think multi-handing would be easy if a bit table space 
cumbersome even more so than usual, my poor little table. But yeah, I would love to try it. What, what's good about it? So like as you mentioned, there's a couple of mechanics that only work when you have more than one character. So every character has the ability to move to another character at a reduced cost. So obviously you lose mm-hmm. that entirely as a, as a solo play, which is quite a big mechanic considering that you're trying to use as little cards as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is really the kind of major conflict running throughout the, mm. the game, isn't it? You're yeah. trying to manage the action deck. And there's also certain conditions. So there's one called uh, Paranoid, which basically only comes into play into play in a multiplayer game. Oh, yeah. And the, weirdly, the card says, oh, you're paranoid. Return this card if there's no other characters on your terrain. And it's like, yeah. Oh, I'll put it back then. Like it just yeah. seems like in solo. In solo, it's like oh, it's not a big deal for me. There's no one else around. Yeah, it's like, but but you would still be paranoid, right? Things are going wrong. Yeah. So why wouldn't yeah, you, as yeah. a like, surely you'd be more paranoid, like mm. being mm-hmm. by yourself and stuff. So, and as well, like going back to the you, you basically the the more characters you have, the smaller your inventory and hand size. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, for me, I find like weirdly, there's more cards, but it's more manageable. And then the other thing that I like doing multi handed is the explorers are incredibly varied. So each explorer comes with five unique action cards. Yeah. And be they could be items or abilities or, or whatever. You just get to experience more of that. And the characters tend to be focused on like a few actions. Like you can get um, studious characters, which are really good at like reading relics and all that kind of stuff. Or you can get characters yeah, which are really yeah. good at hunting or healing. And it's just like by just actively choosing one character you're kind of just missing out. Yeah, so I like to experience a game to its fullest. So whilst I say it's not a multiplayer game, it is definitely a game you can multi-hand. And I think I think, I think, think 2 is the sweet spot in that because then it's manageable, it's not overly complex. You're not going <laughs> to use the old role-playing term splitting the party too much. <laughs> Which <laughs> yeah. never ends well, everyone knows that. So yeah, if, <laughs> if, if I would recommend multi-handing with 2 just, just for the sake of getting the 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 fullness of the game and it's just a bit more interesting you know the whole oh i've got to climb this mountain and i can't because i suck at it is it becomes less of an issue because your one character might suck at it but your other one might not and then there's mm-hmm. you know it gives you some mitigation you know it just gives you a bit more enjoyment i think so to a bit more freedom yeah that makes sense yeah i wonder how it balances and stuff i'd be re- i'm really interested to try it out and uh I'm looking forward to playing Seventh Continent a lot more. You know, it's uh, when, whenever I can get the table clear and justify its its imprint on my living room, <laughs> for sure. It's uh, it's a really fun fun experience, and I can't wait to try it multi handed as well. Excellent. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to bring up about about the game, Dan? No, I don't think so. I mean, I could talk for hours about the theme and the mechanics and stuff. There is there is a lot to unpack. It's definitely, I think. I mean, not to sort of commandeer the podcast, it's definitely, I think, would be a good one to revisit after we've played some more co- curses. Yeah, I, I'd be I'd be very interested to revisit it after I've finally achieved a, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. a victory or, you know, worked out how I can achieve a victory. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I'm pretty sure I have victory in my sights, but I'm not certain. I know, I know, I think what I'm looking for but I don't know what it's going to do <laughs> when yeah. I when I get it there. So yeah, I think. But I think we've unpacked enough for now. I mean, all, all I can do is recommend it. I know we're not a review podcast, but I think it's just a it's just a nice game. <laughs> That's awesome. There you go. That's awesome. And I think uh, I think I'd give a tentative recommendation as well because you know I really like it. Norm really hates it though, and I, and I wonder how much 
my enjoyment from it is just specifically to do with me being okay with that level of mm. admin. <laughs> and I don't really understand because I know that it's got broad appeal because I know a lot of people really like it, but I don't understand why. I guess it's because the, the conventions that are its main pitfalls aren't really a big deal to a lot of people. Mm. You know, it's like you say, you, you play a lot of video games. I do too. And you can kind of look past them. They're kind of par for the course, aren't they? Yeah. And you kind of, yeah, you don't, you don't, necessarily see them a lot of the times as criticisms unless you're really looking with your big reviewer eye but even despite that you know and despite being aware of those things i really enjoy the game still and so yeah i'd give i'd say it's it's well worth giving it a go if you ever get the opportunity although only ever on your own i also would never <laughs> yes. want to play this multiplayer 100 <laughs> percent agree with that one Maybe you could play with like one person who you love and don't mind taking a long game with, and you and you feel comfortable saying, "I'm done for now. Let's uh, let's go watch TV." Yeah, yeah. I mean, mo- most of my play has been with my other half. Yeah, so that that I can see being okay because you're comfortable with, enough with that person. If you're if you're around a, a mate's house and it's like, you know, there's a lot of uh, social contract stuff there that might make you have an unpleasant experience, right? Because it's harder to say. I just want to go home now and veg. You know, I don't want to be doing admin right You're now. You're boring me. Um, <laughs> which you can say, which you can say someone, only someone you love truly madly. Deep yeah, deep she deep says deep that deep to me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you can only say that when you really feel the love. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's move on from Seventh Continent then uh, before we get told that from our Discord users. Cool. So we are now moving into the listener question part of the show. Awesome. Have we got? Uh, do we have a jingle? <laughs> we should get a jingle, should get for a this, jingle, but we don't. We don't have a jingle yet, okay. unless you'd like to do us one. That was awful. Listener questions with Dan. Oh, okay, so I, I understand you had a question you wanted to to ask for this episode. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So it's actually a listener-inspired question. Ooh. So Rob, the game guy over on the Discord posted a video which was actually a review for a different game but did touch upon seventh continent and um the host basically didn't like seventh continent because it was too easy well basically when you lost you couldn't cheat and unlose much like you can in a choose your own adventure book where you flip to a page and you go oh i've been eaten by a snake let's just flip back and uh, go somewhere (laughs) else so that's really interesting because I'd say you absolutely can cheat in Seventh Continent. But <laughs> I'll uh, I'll just park that there and won't tell you that I did cheat. <laughs> Once oh, wow. There we go. Your hand is revealed. Only, only, you know, in the sake of reviewer interest. Okay. Yeah. All right. You can uncross your fingers now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So in Seventh Continent, I always find that when I lose, I just want to play again. Like losing isn't a bad thing other than the mm. filing cabinet. But to me, it's like, right, oh, I've lost. But I've learned so much now about the map. I know mm-hmm. not to go left. I know to go right. I know to not climb this tree. So I think based on that, the listener question is, you know, what is a game that you enjoy losing at? What is a game that when you lose, you don't think, oh, well, that was a waste of two hours. Viticulture. <laughs> <laughs> what is a game that, you know, you lose and you just want to play again because, you know, there's a strategy you need to unpack or, you know, you've, you've realized that you know this combination of cards is 
like going to blow the game out of the water next time. I think I think that mm. that is something that I think would be good to explore with our listeners because we often talk yeah. about what games you love because you know you're good at it and you win and you know all that kind of stuff. But there are what games do you love to lose? That's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, we've talked we've hit on it a little bit in the past talking about games enrich you when you lose and bring you pull you back in for more. And I yeah, I'd really love to get your guys the listeners favorite picks for that because it's a it's a really important thing that i think games should do and i think seventh continent is wonderful at it. when i lost every time i lost at seven continent whatever the reason i was keen to start again yeah. like even if it was a sudden upset instant loss which i you know would normally hate in a board game especially one where you invest so much time into it just felt exciting maybe i'll pull out a different explorer this time and I know so much now. I won't go there again. I, I, I know what I'm looking for. It, it feels almost like a time loop in yeah. a really nice way. I feel like you could definitely take a lot of the core mechanics of Seventh Continent and turn it into a time loop game. That would be really fun. But yes, so the question is, what is a game you love to lose at? Brilliant. So that brings us to the responses from last episode's questions. And just to remind you guys, our last episode we asked what is your favorite battle mechanism in a game so dan what was the first response we had uh so the first response we had uh was from comrade boris they really like deterministic battle systems uh, it's their yeah. favorite such as scythe june or kemet they, they go on to say that plinko is their favorite output randomness game uh but seriously speaking <laughs> they really need to think about plink maybe diplomacy <laughs> Now, I'll be honest, Scythe, uh, Scythe is the only one I've actually played out of all of those games. I've played, not Dune, but uh, Rex Fall of an Empire, which I know is the slimmed down version. But I've got to agree. I think they, I like deterministic battle systems. I like being able to know what I'm setting myself up for. So I think for context there, I've just Googled it and I wasn't certain. I had to t- double check if there's a board game. I can't see an actual board game for Plinko. It's just what I thought it is. Which is the oh, sort the, of, you know, the little... Where you pull the thing down and you fire the little ball bearing. Is that playing? Yeah, you fire the little ball bearing and it just sort of goes down. <laughs> or you drop it from the top and, and the little ball bearing goes down the little nails and, and goes yep. down to the bottom and you win a prize based on where it lands or get points based on where it lands. I mean, One if... interesting answer to the battle. Yes. <laughs> just maybe that's just tickled me. Thank you, comrade. That's, that's hilarious. If you've, uh, if you've um, answered two questions there, let us know. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's Plinko for, for anyone who didn't know. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Uh, I think the deterministic battle systems are, are pretty cool, pretty pretty fun. Uh, I haven't played June yet. I really want to play June because I'm a big fan of the, uh, of the mm. first book. I haven't read the second one yet. Uh, I tried and failed. So uh, on to Kendall, who says, and it's quite a long message here, so I'll just paraphrase parts of it. They say, if we're talking battle systems, you've got to bring minis games into it. My fave are from miniature war games. And they mentioned Malifaux, Guild Ball, and Saga. Have you heard of any of those, Dan? Malifaux and Guild Ball, I am aware of. I've not mm-hmm. played them, although they're both... Uh, tabletop games I've actually wanted to to play. So, Kendall, if you if you want to show me, I'll uh, I'll gladly I'll gladly learn from you. Um, Saga, I don't know about at all. No, so I've I've played uh, Saga and Gilball. I'm most familiar with Gilball, so we'll unpack that one a bit more. He, uh, Kendall unpacks in detail how they all work here, but I'll just I'll just give you the Gilball ones uh, so that 
the podcast isn't insanely long today. <laughs> so <laughs> in Guild Ball, you use a standard D6 dice pool, roll, and each dice above a target number is a hit. But rather than extra hits just increasing damage, each model has a playbook with various results, including damage, knockdown, pushes, and tackles. So essentially, your, your dice roll determines your options for what you can do. Which I think, it, it, yeah, it's a really interesting uh, mechanic in, in the game and, and makes for a much more fun sort of in, uh, output randomness, input randomness cycle where you, you, you roll the dice and then you get to choose based on those dice what you're going to do. And then. Yeah, that's interesting. Also, Kendall wants to throw a little shout out to Little Wars for having two combat resolution mechanics, ranged being literally firing a miniature cannon and killing everything it knocked down. <laughs> That is amazing. And melee being a quite interesting and brutal one-for-one -one trading of models unless you can isolate and surround the enemy. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like marbles, like used to play as a kid uh, with yeah. my brother. We had little war soldiers and we'd throw marbles at them. It was one of the best combat resolutions I've ever played in a game ever. A bit of dexterity in a game never, you know, is always a, is always a plus for me. And finally, they say, as for board games, my favourite fight mechanic is probably just Mage Knight. <laughs> or if aggressive actions count, then blocking someone in a Euro game, that's far, far more violent than rolling some dice to kill their guys. I worry about Kendall sometimes. <laughs> i mean i think that's a very british perspective to take on things yeah you, you know you think aggression stings try passive aggression <laughs> oh all day all day i was just thinking through and i see um actually in response to comrade's statement um pickles is the complete opposite he says that scythe june and kemet they may be uh deterministic but they feature one of their least favorite mechanisms in any games blind bidding so for those of you who haven't played Scythe, I don't know who hasn't played Scythe anymore. You basically put in a amount of attack power, your opponent puts in another amount, you don't know who, which one it is, and then highest wins. So quite yeah. simple. The, they actually like Root. It's one quick dice roll. Um, there's very little input from any outside cards. So if anything, it's the, it's the opposite. It's very random. Yeah. I think personally, I kind of like a bit of both. One of my favourite uh, battle mechanics is actually the Game of Thrones board game. Oh, okay. I haven't played that one still. It's, it's not one I really wanted to play. So it's very deterministic in that you play some cards, but there is an optional model called Tides of Battle, where you basically flip a card from a deck and it will give you plus two or minus two or maybe nothing. Or it's basically a completely random modifier to whatever figure you've played. Mm -hmm. And the reason I love that is because it means that not all battles are hopeless. Yeah. So you can go into a battle and you think, yeah, I'm underpowered. But actually, ha ha, ha and there you go. And then you just slap this ties of battle down and you go, yeah, screw you. I win. <laughs> I just like, I just like, I like the fact that, you know, it just gives you, it just gives it that little edge. So you can basically guarantee it when you want to slap down 14 power when they've got six. Yeah, fine. Your ties of battle card isn't going to help you there. But yeah, it just like when you have those battles that are like close to a draw, you know, it's just that little flick of a card which, just gives you that little bit of, you know, little bit of edge, little bit of excitement. That's interesting. So, so it's a card that you have to play to trigger a Tides of Battle. It's not something that always happens. Oh, no, it, it always happens. It's just basically the Tides of Battle is a, is a small deck that just sits by the board and every battle you just flip Right, on. right. But yeah, like I say, you can guarantee a win by just, I think it only goes to plus and minus two. 
So as long as you play, if you want to guarantee a win, you just make sure you, you're sort of plus three. Sounds like the Gloomhaven mechanic with the, with the attack deck. In, in oh, yeah, it could be, yeah. Yes, it is, yeah, because they've got the negatives and the, yeah. Okay, next up we have Stop Somewhere Eric, who says, I think in battle games I am not at all that big on output randomness. Give me Chinese checkers or a go game for a battle and I will be happy to directly compete, at least in multiplayer, on the basis of strategy. On the other hand, Jaws of the Lion did have a really nice battle component where you feel like you go up against a fighting opponent who pursues you and the randomness of the damage taken can be mitigated through healing a bit and such, but not always. I think it depends on if I'm playing someone or if I'm solo. Output randomness makes up for lacking strategy by an opponent. I couldn't agree more mm. with the difference I feel in terms of multiplayer and solo games about output randomness. <laughs> I, I cannot stand... I mean, well, I can stand, but I'm, I'm much, much less forgiving of output randomness as a resolution mechanic in multiplayer games. In solo games, I'm a lot more chill about it. Yeah, I think it makes it makes perfect sense, though. You know, if, if, if everything was deterministic in a solo game, it, what's the point? <laughs> what would be the point of playing the game? Yeah, ask Caverna, Dan. Ask, Caver ask Norm why Caverna's <laughs> fun. I don't get it. <laughs> Amazing. Just one more from our Discord, Kent Changa. For them, StarCraft, the board game, has the best combat system. It has depth and the second lowest luck of all non-deterministic combat systems. Number one ah, being Game of Thrones, the board game. Hey. There we go. They've not decided not to go into detail since it's competitive, which is fair enough. Well, lucky you already uh, you already gave us <laughs> Yeah, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So StarCraft, the board game, is one that I've actually always wanted to play, although it's quite hard to get hold of. But I've played the video game, and if it is anything like that, then, yeah, I agree. There's lots of playing units off each other. They all have weaknesses and, and bonuses and that kind of thing. So, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, everyone, for your responses there. That was really interesting. And uh, if we could just get that question again for this episode, Dan. Uh, yep, so the question is, what is a game that you'd love to lose at? So, as always, if you'd like to answer the question, you can join our Discord uh, links are in the description. You can also email us at alwaysplayer1podcast at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at alwaysplayer1podcast and Reddit always underscore player underscore one. Don't forget to check out our Patreon page. We have a mini series on there called The Planning Phase. Uh, any pledged, even the lowest tier, will give you access to every episode of Planning Phase where we talk about what's coming for the upcoming episodes, give you any news and have our discussion live about what we're going to cover. We also have a coffee page uh, where you can go to buy us a coffee. All of your donations are really, really appreciated. In fact, the only reason I got a physical copy of Seventh Continent was because of our lovely patrons. So massive thank you again to everyone who supports us there, including you, Dan. <laughs> You're welcome. And I will say to anyone, if you enjoy the music at the start of this podcast, wait till you hear the planning phase. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's everything. Uh, sorry if I missed anything there, Norm. And uh, thank you, Dan, for joining us today. You are more than welcome. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to be on your podcast. And, well, to listen to the podcast as well. I mean, it's fantastic. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the show, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. The links to that are in the description. We'll be back in four weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going.